1: Hi, I'm Mario Andre, and you're listening to Formula Nerds' Cut to the Race podcast. Mario, now that you've reached your peak goal, how do you feel as a champion of the world? I feel just just fine. That's beautiful. It's uh, what I've been waiting for, and, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy this for a long time to come.
2: Of Andretti comes Carlos Reutemann and he's going through on the inside of Tarzan and he's going to retake the position wow, and they they're touch, banging each they other. Touch, they're banging wheels
3: all the way around the corner, great stuff and Andretti goes through. I'm Louise Goodman,
0: and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast.
1: Hello, my name is John Milander, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to
4: the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Brophy. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Whoa, whoa. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Today we have a very special guest. He is a four-time IndyCar national champion. He is a Formula One world champion, a Daytona 500 winner, IndyCar 500 winner. I've got to stop. I will be here all day. Um, Mario Andretti, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ollie. No problem. Uh, on, on the panel today, we've got Abby with us, Cambridge, James and Grace. I've given you a little bit of an intro, but you, you also hold a, another special record. I mean, they're, they're endless. Uh, alongside Dan Gurney. You're the only two drivers to have won races in Formula One, IndyCar, Sports Card Championship and NASCAR. Um, first question's got to be, is anyone ever going to top that? Is there going to be a third, do you think, Mario?
1: Well, if there's a record, their uh, records are always made to be broken. Of course, uh, whoever thought that um, uh, Michael Schumacher's record was ever would ever be reached and uh, and about to be broken, perhaps. So um, you know, uh, there it is. Uh, but uh, uh, to be mentioned at that level anyway is always something that uh, is uh, you know it's great to hear because uh, a lot of work goes in. Work and effort goes into everything that uh, that you accomplish, and um, and that's it. You know, if um, if it's noticed, uh, but fans and so on and so forth, uh, it's uh, that's a great reward, in my opinion.
3: Well, I am a big fan of IndyCar and F one, especially. So I know you've competed in every motorsport. And this might be a bit mean, but what is your favorite championship that you've won, and why?
1: Well, I think that's easy for me to answer, quite honestly, because uh, my background is uh, such that uh, I was born and raised uh, in in Italy, and um, I uh, I just became enamored with uh, motorsports when I was at uh, you know just barely a teenager, and um, and I say this all the time, but. Uh, uh, Italy was very prominent in Formula One right from the very beginning of, of the inception of Formula One. And, uh, and you had, um, you know, the manufacturer, Ferrari, of course, Maserati, and I would say Alfa Romeo even uh, winning the, the first championship. Uh, and uh, being an Italian, uh, I gravitated to uh, uh, what was a current world champion at the time in the uh, mid 50s. 53, 54, Uh, I was 13, 14 years of age and um, world champion with Alberto Ascari and and that's where it all started for me. Uh, So to answer your question, as I came to America, I started racing here, of course, and uh, there's uh, plenty of opportunities here uh, to race at the top level, uh, as you should know. and but uh, deep down, I always had this thing about you know, uh, I will need to devote um, uh, some time in my career, hopefully, uh, earn my way into Formula One. And um, and I'll give you um, something that was uh, a moment that was very important. Uh, when I was a, a rookie at Indianapolis in 1965, um, of course, uh, Lotus was present uh, and uh, in that. Jimmy uh, Jimmy Clark won that race during the uh, the practice, which is uh, you know <laughs> in those days were like two weeks of practice even before qualifying. Um, I uh, I made sure that I befriended uh, Colin Chapman and uh, and Jimmy as well, and along you know with the, of course he when Graham Hill would come over and and Jackie Stewart, and um, uh, after the race. First, Jimmy won the 65 Indianapolis 500. I finished third and I was rookie of the year. So, you know, after all the pageantry and everything, uh, we were saying our goodbyes. And uh, and I uh, I went to Colin I said, Colin, someday I would like to do Formula One. And uh, Colin says, Mario, when you think you're ready, you call me, I will have a car for you. Now you can imagine, you know, how immense that was for me. Uh, to hear those words. And um, three years later, I felt I was ready. <laughs> you know, whether I was or not, I felt that I was ready. And I called him and uh, I said, I would like to do the last two races of the season. Italy and, and uh, Glen. I won't go into... Uh, all the story about Italy that uh, why it didn't happen because, you know, because I had to race on Saturday in the States and go back and forth. Anyway, uh, my um debut was at Watkins Glen, here in America of course, and um and I never seen the place even and uh did not test there. I arrived uh, you know race weekend and and Lord and behold, you know, I put the car on pole. You know, next to Jackie Stewart. So, um, these are moments that become so important to, to me. And then, uh, but again, um, again to answer your question even further, <clears throat> uh, winning in Monza, clinching the world championship in Monza. Uh, how do you design that? You know, it's uh, came full circle for me. Uh, So these are the moments in my life that, uh, you know, are there just uh, forever. And most important, um, not to take lightly in any way, you know, uh, the the fortunes that I've had here in the United States and all of that. uh, But um, like I said, you have to go back from the beginning as to how everything started and uh, how it developed. And uh, so my ultimate passion was to be in Formula One and, uh, and winning the championship, uh, culminated, uh, you know, my most ambitious goal. So, Mara, you've just mentioned a lot of
2: different uh, motorsport series there. Uh, and obviously you were also competed uh, in Le Mans. Uh, and obviously your first entry into Le Mans was uh, 1966, which is obviously the site of one of the best stories uh, of all time in Ford versus Ferrari. Now, you were part of the Holman Moody GT40 team, so did you get to work with Carroll Shelby and Ken Miles in developing uh, the car at all?
1: Oh, yes, I did. Indeed, uh, actually, um, uh, a lot of the testing that uh, we would be doing, um, yeah, I was involved in, and I uh, made myself available for all of every single test program. And uh, because I, uh, as you can imagine, after speaking with Colin, I needed uh, you know, to develop my, uh, some skills in, in road racing. And, uh, the, uh, the Ford Lamont program was, uh, I mean, exactly what the doctor ordered at the time. And, uh, and I said, uh, you know, if you need me for every test, uh, I will be there. And, and of course, I, uh, you know, it was a, <laughs> unfortunately Ken Miles, so, you know, obviously, uh, we had a relationship there, but, uh, you know, he, uh, his demise, you know, happened too quickly and, uh, and I'm very unfortunate. But uh, uh, the important part is I really, uh, Bruce McLaren and I became good friends uh, because um, he, you know, he was uh, also part of the development. And, uh, and, you know, after, you know, driving all day, we just uh, go out to dinner together and, and discuss a lot of things. And I had many, 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 many pertinent questions <laughs> you know, to him and uh, as a matter of fact um, whenever he would be taken over <clears throat> on his tent while, you know in, in, in testing I uh, would take a scooter and go to key cor- corners and, and watch the way he would rotate the car through the corners and a lot of things that uh, uh, that, that I could observe uh, he was uh, technically he was really one of the best drivers uh you know to negotiate especially the slow corners and um you know i had the high speed situation pretty well handled you know but uh, uh and so that was uh, you know it was incredible for me you know to have those opportunities and uh, so again uh, as you can see that i embraced that uh, that part um you know and and of course you know lamana uh, we had some engine problem uh, you know, with, uh, uh, which unfortunately took me out early, but uh, nevertheless, uh, great experience for me.
3: Now, Mario, you've you've raced in many different series, many different championships, uh, and of course, you've therefore driven many different types of racing car. Which presented the the greatest challenge to adapt to in your career?
1: Well, they all have uh, their, their specific demands, and uh, and you just um, it's I think you have to when you approach uh, some of these challenges, uh, you you have all that fervor, you know, all that uh, um, anxiety, but but it's purely it's good stuff. You know, it's something you look forward to it. And, and because of that, you just have a tendency to adapt maybe even easier because you really want to be there. And um, and to me um just uh, early on when i you know just first i uh, was introduced to the sport you know i was driving on that you know on the dirt tracks with that uh, with the stock car that we built then we i went to three quarter midgets and then i won there and i went into full size midgets and then i won there and then i went to sprint cars and and you know whenever you win in these uh, different categories you you sort of you learn something you learn to adapt And uh, for me, even at the beginning, like uh, of my IndyCar career, that championship was, you know, included, I should say, uh, super speedway, oval, super speedway, short ovals. Um, And there was one road course race in 65 when I won that championship in my rookie year. And I won that one because why? Because I really wanted to do that. Uh, In in 1963, there was was only one midget race at Lime Rock, Connecticut, and uh, on a road course. Can you imagine a midget on a road course? And uh, one of the car owners had John Cooper build a car, a rear engine midget, especially for Mark Donahue to race in just that one race. And, of course, he dominated qualifying and so forth. And uh, and in the race, uh, I was, you know, just he had a, a two-speed gearbox and we didn't have a gearbox, you know. So I was, uh, you know, pretty much up and floating the valves, you know, at the end of the straightaway. But uh, I was, uh, I never, you know, I was on him throughout the race on the last lap. I figured we got to go. And, and uh, I beat him you know I've been in by you know I think maybe uh, uh 10 inches or something and I and the engine scattered it blew you know when I crossed the finish line but you know I felt like you know Fonjo or Scotty you know uh, just in a midget so uh, uh just to be able to to do that you could see that you know where my passion was you know and um and so like I said uh uh Along the way, it's you know things were just happening the right way for me. That's all.
0: You mentioned earlier about Ascari at Monza and how seeing him kick-started your love and your passion for motorsport. And when your family moved to America, I know that you and your brother built your own stock car to start racing. How did it feel to actually start racing and start seeing your dreams become a reality?
1: Well, basically, as uh, as I said that. It, uh, I never had a plan B, of course, and, uh, you know, whenever um, I, you know, I just became infatuated with the sport and uh, coming to America, uh, we felt it was uh, just uh, the place to be for, you know, to have the opportunity. And when we arrived here, I just, uh, we arrived here on a Thursday, and by Sunday night, I discovered there was a, a, a racing at the, the fairgrounds, you know, Oval you know dirt track and two years later and we put together uh three other buddies and uh one geek you know you always need the geek you know somebody that knows everything and uh and and we started a plan to build uh our own race car to be to race by the time we were 21 this was uh We were 17 at that point, 1957. I arrived here in 1955, two years later, 57, we started building the car. And and the reason that I said uh, 21, because uh, legally you had to be 21 in those days to race professionally. Anyway, uh, the car was done in two years. We were 19 and we figured we're not going to wait two years. So um, we befriended, uh, you know, we used to work at, uh, in, after school, my my brother Aldo and I used to work in my um, uncle's gas station. Um, and uh, we befriended, um, you know, many people here in, in the town. And, uh, and one of them was uh, the editor of the local newspaper. So we asked uh, Les Young, we said, Les, uh, can you do something with our... Uh, birth date on our license you know because that will be obviously our id and um so all of a sudden we were 21 <laughs> and uh and and we started that's how it started for us um and um and of course we had uh, one race car two race drivers only one helmet <laughs> and uh there was a, a toss who was going to drive first and. Uh, and it was uh, Aldo, you know, my twin brother. Uh, won the toss, and and Lord and behold, he won the qualifying heat race, and he won the race. And it started him last, and um, and and so because there was no background, I used to tell everybody that we used to race in Italy, uh, Formula Junior, and all that, which was a uh, you know a lot of baloney there. But uh, uh, <laughs> so we said, yeah, we knew Conto. Count Lorani, and uh, we used to drive a and in uh, Ancona, and uh, some of my relatives in Italy said, "I don't remember," because the auto sprint picked picked up that story. Said, "Oh, I don't remember you 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 you, you guys driving at Ancona," <laughs> but anyway, but it worked for us. And but the fact is, we have very auspicious beginning, you know, and uh, here in America, and um, and basically. Um, and there was uh, some issues here because uh, my my father, uh, you know, was not a race fan by any means and um, and and all he knew about is, you know the, the negative side of it because you know, the fatalities and so forth. I mean, Alberto Scari was killed uh, just before we came to America, for instance. He knew just how much we loved him. so and then can you imagine um, on a ship on the way over, this was in June, was during that uh, Le Mans weekend, and that's when they had uh, that uh, horrible accident with Pierre Levegue when it threw a grandstand, and killed eighty-five spectators. Uh, so that was on, on the bulletin board on the ship, as huge news. So every news about motor racing was a negative, if you will. And my dad would have never, ever allowed us to to race. So we uh. Uh, we we just uh, had to do it without him knowing. But we were, we had some uh, some success. So we obviously was uh, uh, publicized. I was in the local papers. And, uh, and uh, I remember that, um, you know, at work, it, uh, his boss just said, hey, Gigi, man, your kids are really doing okay. He had no idea what the hell the guy was talking about because there was a language barrier there. So, so we were protected there. But uh, nevertheless, we... We we just went through the season and but at the end of that first season, uh on the very last race, which was the invitational. And uh, I got a ride with somebody, you know, somebody else and Aldo was driving our car and the in the qualifying heat, he was already qualified. I mean, he was qualified, he was only second to the track champion, Freddie Adams, and uh and unfortunately he just uh, you know, he hooked a guardrail and he went end over end. So yeah. Had this terrible accident, you know, and uh, and that's how my dad found out that we were racing because uh, Aldo was in the hospital, you know. But um, so anyway, uh, that was, uh, you know, one event, you know, in our lives that um, um, and but um, again, my career continued. I uh, you can see I, I started in 59. My very last professional race was in Le Mans in 2000. But I I came out of uh, the cockpit, the open wheel, single seater cockpit in 1994, you know, so um, uh, I've been so fortunate, you know, extremely fortunate throughout that, um, you know, throughout my career, I only missed two races because of injury. And and again, it's, um, you know, especially in those times, uh, you know, you could tell that I was totally blessed. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I answer your question, but I keep rambling. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it's it's all good stuff, Mario. Don't worry. It's all fascinating. So you, from those early... I
1: was always da- accused of that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't
3: because know what they're talking about. Saying,
1: Mario, answer, answer the question. Don't just ramble on.
3: <laughs> We'd sit here all day and listen to you if we were allowed. Don't worry. <laughs> um, now, from those early dirt tracks that you mentioned to that final race in Le Mans, you you raced on pretty much every kind of circuit. Uh, Did you find it trickier to say, set up for an oval in NASCAR or a street circuit in F1? And out of all the tracks and all the circuits that you you ever raced on, what was your absolute favourite?
1: Well, here again, I always say, I mean, uh, wherever I could win, (laughs) that was always my favourite. But, uh, you know, going (laughs) back to the question, your question is a very good question, actually. Uh, I had to adapt to all the different situations like even uh, even on an oval there's a difference between a dirt track and a paved track you know of course you know the way you handle the car but uh, uh, what i uh, found very very uh, uh, fruitful for me on on a road, on a dirt tracks is car control because you basically you know you steer you know with your throttle more than even you're steering. But and that really works uh, for you on wet situation, wet uh, conditions, and 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 the other thing that you learn on the, on the dirt track is um, the the grip level changes dramatically through the race. You have to keep searching for grip, and that's what you do in a wet because the wet conditions change almost uh, by lap or whether rains, whether stops raining, and on and on so i always found in in every discipline that uh, that i had the opportunity to, to to race in you learn something that uh, actually helps you in the big picture if you will it expands your knowledge you know and uh, and and besides the fact that uh, i just wanted to do i was always curious you know uh, but uh, uh, to me uh you know just like you know, even doing the Pike speak, you know, it's doing Pike speak is like a, a rallying, of course, you know, especially in those days, you know, when it was dirt. And, uh, and I did that with the rear engine car. And, and I was actually, well, we had some, uh, 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 so, some issues, uh, in, you know, with the, um, uh, uh, I, th- I think with the, it, it actually would, with the fueling situation, uh, you know, I should have won that with the rear engine car, but then I wanted the following year with the regular upright, you know, dirt car, you know, and, and so you talk about adapting and, and so forth, you know, you, you just, you just do it. And, uh, and, and again, it, uh, you always learn something new, something different. that will apply somewhere else. So, uh, you know, for me, um, it was just, uh, was a challenge that I really, really relished. Uh, That's the only way I can put it.
0: Now, as you just said, the tracks in all the different championships can vary, but one thing that is consistent is the danger and the thought of crashing and that. And you mentioned that your dad didn't like motorsport because all the negative news about it was crashing. And in 1969, you had the crash during the Indy 500 practice. Now, what is it like coming back from a crash? Do you have to train your mindset and mentality to get back in the car, or is it just a case of, "I love racing. I've just got to get back and do it, no matter what."
1: Well, Abby, it's um, it's something that you just don't dwell on the negative. You know, when uh, uh, when I you know, and I had that crash, I figured, oh my goodness, you know, uh, is it all lost? No, I cannot accept that. I cannot accept that. You know, and uh, and okay, uh, there there has to be another way to do it. Luckily, you know, I had some burns and so forth, but uh, something that could easily be overcome. Uh, And uh, we just reverted to Plan B, and uh, totally different car. You know, we're talking about nineteen sixty nine, but you you just don't dwell on the negative side. You just Try to put that aside. I don't want to know about that. I don't want. this is, uh, uh "Your burns, did they hurt?" No, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, you know what I mean? You just start thinking more positive, and and you just attack the new situation. And uh, you know, uh, when uh, we actually it was almost a blessing that uh, that that happened. What happened uh, with the lotus, uh, which was very quick, was uh, had a lot of quality, but. Um, there's no way that would have been reliable enough to go 500 miles. So, uh, as you can see, uh, we uh, the first weekend of qualifying. You know, in those days they had two weekends of qualifying, and the first weekend of qualifying was rained out. So. We had a chance to, you know, put a lot of miles on the Lotus and try to uh, to identify the weaknesses and so on and so forth. And uh, we did a lot of race running, which, again, we put miles and miles on the components. And a component, you know, like a, a, a rear hub, sheared. And that would have sheared in the race. <laughs> you know, if, if, even if you would have qualified earlier, I would have had to qualify and race that car. But uh, like I said, you know, uh, things always, you know, even then, under those dire circumstances, things happen for the best because uh, uh, then all of a sudden, uh, Lotus actually, because they had a couple of other uh, incidents. Uh, I think uh, uh, Graham Hill actually had a, a half shaft go and they had a, uh, he had a light crash and so on and so forth. So they withdrew all those Lo- the Lotuses. So I had to revert to the Bronner Hawk, uh, and um, and which we did not that it's you know intend to race there. We, but we entered it as a you know just as an insurance, and uh, we only have one day to practice with that. But then, but still we we even still put it in the front row, in the middle of the front row, you know. So uh, you know things were happening the right way, and and uh, and Lord and behold. I finished the race (laughs) and you know, then in uh, 65, my rookie year, I finished the race, finished third. In 66, 67, I was on pole both years and dropped out really early, you know, with uh, some issues, engine and then another one, the wheel came off. And then 68 blew the engine in the first lap. And 69 was only the second race and it ended up that I finished since so 65 and we won it, you know, under those circumstances. So, again, <laughs> when you look back, say, oh, my goodness, you know, but um, again, it's uh, a lot of it is perseverance. You know, we didn't give up under some potentially dire circumstances and, and it paid off, you know, and, and for me, it was um, particularly satisfying. Uh, to win that race, not only for myself, of course, but also for Andy Granatelli, who had tried so hard over the years, you know, to be uh, thinking outside the box, you know, with the Novas and everything. Then the turbans, you know, you almost won with that, but they didn't, and uh, and I, I won for him with the most standard car at the moment, you know, and uh, so yeah, you know, this. Uh, very rewarding events for for us uh, when we think of everything that happened around it. So, Mario, going back to to F one, let, let's talk about some of the
4: people that you've raced with. So, um, I mean your your list of your list of teammates is uh, you know it, it's an incredible bunch of people that you've you've had as your teammates from Kiki Rosberg, Jackie X, Graham Hill, uh, Nigel Mansell, etc. What did you learn from these guys as your teammates were they easy to work with um who, who did you enjoy working with the most and then uh, who who do you think's the best driver you raced against in F1
1: Well that's a tough one you know uh, there's there's so many i mean it's uh, it's never one it's never one when you talk about uh, the teammates that I enjoy working with the most and was most open with was uh, Ronnie Peterson, but honestly, he and I were really good buddies. And uh, I mean, uh, fierce competitors, no question, you know, we would be out there trying to kill each other, but uh, then we'd have a beer afterwards, you know, and, uh, and that was, that was important. You know, uh, uh, we, we were competitive to the point of, uh, you know, he, he would spend time with me up at I have a a lake resort up in uh, Pocono with all the toys in the world. We up there racing our motorcycles and whatever, and 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 even competitive on the tennis court. You know, so it was uh, it was good stuff. You know, to have that relationship. Um, you know, as far as the, the drivers that I raced against, I mean, let's face it, uh, the best that the the time the period I had to offer. You know the Jackie Stewart. You know when you win a race, and Jackie Stewart finished second. That's a special day, let me tell you. And um, or Nikki Lauda, and on and on. I mean, it's. Uh, I even. Uh, I I try not to mention too many names because I'm afraid I'm always going to leave a key name uh, and it will not be mentioned. You know. So, uh, but um, uh, again, to 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 have raced through those that uh, those decades. Uh, with, um, you know, with, uh, the drivers that you just mentioned and, and others, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it makes it so precious when you look back and, and reflect on things, you know, the opportunity that you had. Um, I mean, some of the drivers that we're talking about are the best that we have ever known, you know, in the sport. So, yeah, to be mixing it up, uh, you know, with that crowd, it's, uh, it's pretty rewarding, I can say.
2: You just mentioned, obviously, you, you competed pretty much in F1's glory days. Um, especially uh, from my angle, you know that's the, I grew up watching those um, sorts of things on, on, the, on the documentaries, at least. Um, so I'm going to ask you, if you can, uh, to rank three drivers for me. Uh, no pressure. If you can't rank them, don't worry. Um, but uh, Nicky Lauda, James Hunt, and Carlos Reutemann.
1: Well, they all had tremendous qualities, no question. I mean, uh, uh, Nicky Lauda was as solid as could be always. You know, he uh, was always there. He may not have been the quickest guy, you know, always, but he was always there. Always, uh, if you, every race that uh, you uh, hope to to bring some results in, you had to deal with him. And, um, and James Hunt, quick always, quick everywhere. And... Uh, and again another one that he was one of the usual suspects always be up at the front whether it's practice qualifying on the race and uh, Carlos Reutemann, extremely quick on any given day not always for some reason but he just when he was on he was really really on and sometimes uh you know I even watched him I, I remember we were in uh, testing in Snetterton and and I was and I could not match his times. And I was watching him, you know, I said, how does he do that? You know, it was that kind of a thing. There's always someone that does something that, that, uh, that, you know, that you can't, you feel, man, I don't know if I can do that. But it raises your game too, because you say, I got to find a way. You know what I mean? These are all individuals that make you a better driver. Uh, because... Even coming on the scene uh, in Indy cars, you know, when I came on, uh, who was the guy at, at that during that period? It was AJ Foyt. So, um, and uh, if you're going to win any race, you had to go through. You had to at least beat AJ Foyt. And then, so what? The, what did that? What did that mean? It meant that uh it makes you work you watch you watch every move Watch what they do oh my god how does he do that and all that and then you, you just go there you go there because if I, if i'm going to exist in this business uh i better learn i better figure out a way so these are all the things that uh you know that are the challenging part of, of uh, the sport so uh the the individuals that really presented the biggest challenge for you, those are the ones that you have to credit for making you a better driver, making you work harder for, you know, to be able to obtain, uh, you know, the results. So, um, you're in awe of all of these individuals, you know, for uh, their capability, their, um, you know, their quality and, um, and that's what makes everything such a premium. You know, I always said that, um, you know, winning a race is always, you know, a win is a win. But it puts a premium as to who finishes second. It really does. And uh, and then if that individual, if you're second to that individual, it's still a good day. If, I don't know if, if you get what I'm saying. So that's how I look
3: at that, you know. No, oh, definitely that that makes total sense. Uh, I mean, I don't know yeah. if I answered
1: that question either.
3: <laughs> uh, no, I think I think he did. I think we got that James Hunt was fast. Carlos <laughs> Reutemann was very quick on his day, and Niki Lauda was very reliable. And then everything yep. after that was a bonus. I was actually named after James Hunt, by the way. Uh, now, one of my favorite Mario Andretti moments was your Ferrari comeback in 1982 at Monza. So if you can, could you just talk us through the conversation you had with Enzo uh, before making that return?
1: Well, actually, um, uh, the uh, the invite came under the most dire circumstances for Ferrari, as we know. Um, and um, But um, I was thrilled that uh, I was asked to, uh, you know, to, you know, to, to be at Monza to substitute for Didier. And, um, and I said, uh, I will do it. I said that I had, I had not driven a turbocharged uh, engine situation, Formula One. So I will need a test. I said, absolutely. You know, he, he said, uh, um, we will do that at Fiorano. Uh, and uh, so you get familiarized with the, everything about the car and uh, and that's it I said that's all I need and uh, of course uh, I had the usual issue with uh, my owners you know like uh, owners oh you because every, every one of my contracts you know uh, just forbade me from from doing anything else unless I had a, a written permission. And that's even when I was with Colin. and I never really argued that point when I would, you know, do the contract. But I knew that I would do whatever I wanted anyway, and uh, so. But uh, nevertheless, uh, here I'm in uh, at the week before the race. I go uh, arrive in Fiorano on a weekend, and I uh, ride there on a Saturday, and um, and so uh, had lunch with the, with the commendatore. And, uh, and then we go to Fiorano "What we will there. Well, we'll, get, um, we'll do a seat fitting and so on and so forth. And, um, and then go from there. And then you can do all day testing tomorrow after you get rested. Well, once I sat in the car and everything, I said, you know what? Uh, I'd like to sort of uh, do a shakedown. So he got all the, the corners, you know, the safety people around. And uh, and I did a shakedown and, I, and we kept going. I did 87 laps that day. And uh, on, on my last run for Gary, you know, put the qualifying chip, you know, in the engine. I set a, I set a track record. that lasted for eight years there. And uh, so I felt so comfortable with the car right away. And, um, and so I said, uh, we let's give the mechanics a day off tomorrow. And I didn't, you know, we didn't test on Sunday, didn't need to. Uh, and uh, when I arrived in Monza, I, I had no idea, you know, just how that was going to play out because I hadn't, hadn't raced uh, um, for, for, for a year, Formula One, and then a new formula, engine formula, and everything else. Uh, so I, I was somewhat surprised that uh you know I was able I did I got I did. I got the pole, but uh um I think it came down to uh, uh Nelson Piquet and myself you know he would go out a set of time I go out a set of time and then and finally um I just tipped him you know uh, uh nipped him I should say at uh right at the very end which was uh you know I can imagine especially in Italy ferrari uh so incredibly satisfying and, and um I had an issue uh, in uh, toward the end of the race uh, with the uh, lost power on the left side, on left bank with the turbocharger. I think I would have won that race, um, no question. Uh, but uh, still finishing on podium was uh, a tremendous satisfaction for me. Um, and with Ferrari, I always got on so well with the Comendatore and, and the best part is that uh, you know, because the language situation, I could deal with him directly. You know, and uh, and and that was satisfying for me uh, to, to begin with. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Italian with Ferrari, what the heck? I mean, that's the formula. You know. <laughs>
3: absolute dream team um I just want to say I like how what you said earlier about how some of your favorite tracks are just the ones where you know you can win because I'm exactly the same when it comes to life but when you became F1 champion you had to win a lot what do you think set you apart that year what do you think made you unbeatable in that year
1: well uh I think it's it's everything it's uh, having a team the confidence in the team working for you. Uh, I love, love, love working for Colin Chapman, uh, because, um, he, uh, he just wanted to win so bad as bad as anybody, I mean, everybody wants to win, but he just expresses emotions. I just wanted to see that, you know, throwing that cap up in the air at the end of the race, you know, it was, that uh, he was just like, if he was riding with you and, uh, And so anyway, it just makes you work hard and, uh, and, and the team, uh, I mean, I have uh, my mechanics, you know, they were with me, you know, throughout my tenure with, with Lotus. They're like my brothers today. I mean, we, we still, uh, you know, I have, you know, we we stay in touch and so on and so forth. And, uh, and that, that's what it's all about. You know, it's team, team, when you're really working together. You feel that uh, you feel so confident that uh, you have, you know, everyone just uh, doing their very best, ten tenths, you know, and and confidence is what makes things happen. Quite honestly, it's uh, uh, so. Again, uh, uh, great times, and but it's all about. Like I said. Team, team, team. That's one thing that um, I've always recognized, of course. Uh, and you can't do it without. Uh, you have to have the tools to be able to get the job done, and uh, and you can't do it alone for any mean by any means. So um, again, but I made uh, throughout the sport. You know, I've had some great relationship. Uh, I mean, Adrian Newey, for instance, um, when he was my engineer in '87. We were unbeatable that year. I mean, uh, trust me, I I never worked with anyone that was so unbelievably, uh, I mean, uh, just totally, uh, he and I just totally understood each other in such a way that and I never had that relationship with anyone else except maybe Colin. But, uh, you know, today we still reminisce about certain moments and so on and so forth. So, like I said, these are relationships that stay with you uh, for a lifetime. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. And, and another thing that I think, um, it, to me, uh, it's so um, important is that I don't care what paddock I walk through, whether it's, uh, say, I could be in Le Mans, it could be the uh, Tona 24 Hours, I could be... At the Daytona for the five on, I could be in any Formula One paddock. I feel it right at home, because I always know there's always someone that I work with, and, uh, and I was amazed. Last time I was in Le Mans, just uh, actually as uh, uh, a spectator, I was there for with Audi, um, and i walking through the paddock, actually in, in the pits, really. And almost every third garage, hey, Mario, you know, I remember, I always work with somebody, you know. So uh, it's such a great feeling, you know. It's, um, you know, motor racing, as vast as it is, it's really a very close-knit family in the way I see it. And that's the way I, I, I feel around everyone. And there's, um, it, it doesn't matter what um, nationality, what, you know, whatever, you know, we're all, you know, just the same, you know, seem like it's, uh, uh oh, we're revisiting each other. We are like relatives. <laughs> and it's, it's true.
0: You just said about when you became world champion and how in 87 with Adrian Nui, you were unbeatable. So what would you say is your best F1 race? It doesn't have to be one you won, but one where you felt that you achieved the impossible and was your greatest achievement.
1: Well, you know, one of the best F1 races that I've done is, uh, we, it was with the actually 78 at Monza. I thought I, I, thought I drove really, really, I had some brake issues. Uh, and, uh, and I just, I dogged, uh, uh, Jill Villeneuve, you know, I just, I was on him, on him, on him, so hard on the last lap going into, uh, uh the uh, Scotty uh she came you know i'll break them and i don't know i mean my foot just went through the front and i mean i just uh it was a do or die situation and and i got him the last lap and and uh and and then we we were both uh penalized a minute for jumping the start <laughs> which you know uh i was going to dispute that one you know but after you know the accident with the ronnie just let it go but uh And uh, it was another one that I felt that was, uh, there's nothing like, you know, the last lap thing. It was at Long Beach, I had a last lap goal, you know, at Jody Schechter, at Dijon, so I said I had a last lap uh, overtake, you know, with John Watson and the Alfred Mail and so forth. Uh, It's uh, it's those last lap efforts, it's like a do or die, and it's sort of, uh, you execute, you know, so because you study, 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 and it's so difficult. And I think I have one shot at it, and you try to, you know, <laughs> uh, to, to sneak up on, uh, on something. And uh, and because you play, play a game, then you do something different the last lap, but it has to work. And then when it does, it's uh, just an amazing feeling. So uh, those are the ones that are the most satisfying. I have I had three of those that actually uh, top. To top the board.
2: So speaking of last laps there, obviously we had the massive controversy which was Abu Dhabi this year. Um, what was your take on the whole situation between Max and uh, Lewis?
1: Well, you know, to me, um, you know, it's, uh, it shows that motor racing is uh, very unpredictable, obviously. Um, and by that I mean uh, who were to predict that uh, you know uh, uh, lafitte was going to crash you know six laps to go um and um, here's the way i see it um obviously uh you know it didn't look like it was a, a terrible situation you know so the cleanup should have been done easily in two laps um and um and so uh but Unfortunately, in Formula One, it's not like, you know, we're used to here in the United States, we have the same crews travel to all the events everywhere. So, so, you know, how to depend in Formula One, uh, you depend on local uh, safety crews, you know, to get job, which they do a great job, but, but sometimes they're not as swift as they potentially could be. And I, and I thought there were a little bit of daisy there on that situation. And then, then uh, Michael Masi was confronted with uh, a situation where they, they I think, uh, I think the the, the most uh, <laughs> probably the most important event Formula One race of the season right, to to end that, you know, and uh, behind it, safety car would have been disastrous. So he made a decision, and uh, the, the decision, you know, to uh, to have just so many cars, you know, the cars that were, you know, impeding the top five uh, to, to unlap themselves. And uh, he has the discretion to do that. The race director, you know, you have specific rules, but there's no way that the rule, any rule could cover because every situation is different. So the race director always had, you know, some, um, uh, you know, some uh, discretion, no question. Uh, the only thing that uh, I, I, I just, definitely deplored was the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the, the race, the teams had, um, were able to, uh, to, you know, to discuss the situation with the race, with, with the, with the uh, you know, with the officials, which that should never happen. Uh, and, um, and so a lot was learned. But uh, to answer your question, uh, here's the thing. Um, I can understand why uh, uh, Mercedes did not bring, uh, uh, you know, Lewis in for for tires, for instance, because uh, he didn't want to risk uh, losing, you know, uh, track position. Uh, but when you're running behind, you're running second. You're gonna, you know, uh, you have nothing to lose, so you make that, you know, it's risk reward. And um, and if the situation was reversed, I think. Everything it would have happened the same way, you know. I, and Lewis would have pit it, and and so on. And and then Max would have stayed out. No question about it. The only thing, the other thing that I say is that uh, Lewis was very, very kind to Max because on turn five, uh, he could have protected. He could have protected his position, and and he made it so easy for. Um, and I think uh, what what happened, in my opinion, I could be wrong. He miscalculated how close Max was because, you know, when when the green went on, Lewis took off and he was strong. And I think, oh, it won't matter whether you have new tires or not. But if he would have protected in that turn five, I don't think that Max could have overtaken him after that because it was good straightaways and so forth. But you can see that Max protected his position quite well after that, you know, so. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can't say that uh, Max was not a, a worthy champion, you know, at, uh, at the tour, then, uh, you know, we're going toes to toe, you know, toe to toe to toe, you know, all the way uh, throughout the year. And, and uh, what better situation that uh, uh, that going into the last race, you know, with even, even numbers, you know, and uh, made the best men win the best situation win and that's what it was um and uh they're both champions no question uh and uh and i think again um uh, i think max uh, did what he needed to do and and um and so it went uh and i think uh i just um i hope that uh and i spoke with christian and i forgot to to ask him that if he put. uh, he was going to put Lafitte in, in his uh, Christmas card list, you know. For <laughs> 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 you know, it, it changed the complex, complexity of uh, the of the event totally. You know, because Lewis had it all the way his own way. You know, it was actually, actually, the whole race was a bit of a snoozer up to that point. But um, but again, it um, you know, it was very extremely exciting, and I think. Overall, uh, look at all the conversation that that created throughout. Uh, And, um, you know, I guess uh, half of the fan base is happy. The other half is not. um, But that, uh, you know, there's always to me, they're all they're all winners anyway. You know, in in my book and uh, it's just the circumstances sometimes, you know, play. Um, in, in certain favours you know and and, uh, and that's the way this went but uh, um, a worthy worthy champion no question uh, Max Verstappen in, in every way and uh, and it is the way it is Indeed uh, you know
4: 2021 was an incredible season and it divided people but um, Mario over the last few years we've, we've had some new circuits on the calendar do you do you sit there on a Sunday or, or, or attend and think Oh, I'd like a go. I, I want to drive that track in, in, in a new F1 car. Are there any, any new tracks you see where you think, yes, that that's, that's special?
1: Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to really be able to, um, you know, to, to qualify that situation until you're really on it. Um, uh, it is so different, you know when you're on it because uh, you cannot you have to experience it. It's one of those classic things like you have to be there. Um, there's some tracks where you think oh man, this could be tough and then, then if you're on it, say so you know what? it's got a nice flow and so you have to experience it. You can't sit there and look at the layout and so forth even in, in camera shots. It's all I like to it, it, it just doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Uh, but, um, you know, each track, each track, uh, provides a different challenge. No question everywhere. Um, always said that, um, um, I never had a chance to, 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 to drive spa because, uh, we were running Zolder, you know, at, at the time. Uh, but, um, spa is what I wanted to do. I mean, when I'm on a simulator, that's raw, man, I'm said oh, like spa, you know, and, um, Uh, But um, you know, it's uh, I I'm just so happy and and fortunate that I was able to even experience the the old Nurburgring. You know, just before they uh, you know they shortened and so on and so forth. Uh, Yes, some tracks are extremely extremely challenging, and you know you want to be part of that. You want to be able to 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 um uh, you know to to surpass that challenge. You know to uh, to to feel that you've got, I got it. I have my arms around it. So, you know, that's what keeps
3: you going, really. So speaking of modern Formula One and the future of Formula One, obviously your your son, Michael, is looking to to start his team and move into F1 in the future. Now, what's your take on some of the comments made by the other team principals who seem to have concerns about uh, an Andretti team joining the grid?
1: Well, I think they're Different concerns, you know, and uh, every team, you know, team principal, you know, they look after their own interests, of course, and um, and sometimes, however, you know, uh, you have to look at the big picture. Um, uh, you know, does this elevate the, you know, the level and 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 for everyone? And uh, I don't say that my uh, Michael entering, it would it would, you know, certainly do that, but I, I don't think it would hurt, especially since. Uh, you're going to have, um, you know, it looks like it's certainly two and potentially three Formula One races in the U.S. And, um, and this is um, one team that will have, uh, would have at least one American driver, which, uh, you know, American drivers and, and you know, as of late have not been given many opportunities. You know, not everyone wants to be there, but some do. And, um, you know, there's one particular you know, that's uh, Colton Herta, who uh, I, I I just have so much faith in that young lad that uh, he truly belongs there, to be honest with you. Um, I think that, um, uh, I mean, he, he trained He was 15 years old when he was in England racing Formula Ford. You know, I, you know, I can ask uh, Lando Norris, for instance, you know, uh, uh, about the race together and so on. And, um, and he's said one young lad that came through the ranks, even uh, when he came back uh, in the States, when Michael picked him up, he, uh, he won a championship in, at the uh, USA 2000. He won championship in the uh, Indy Lights. And then he brings him on at top level. And every race, he won six races there. And he was the youngest one to, to win. The first race, I was so impressed because... It was not a strategy, it was not, it was pure, pure speed. And who did you know he wins uh, you know in front of a wally wally uh <laughs> veteran, you know, like Scott Dixon, you know, that uh team wise and, and driver-wise, you don't they don't come any better. And um, and then he went on and he did the same thing, you know, in the other races. Um, you know, I, I think he made a couple mistakes last year, which is fine for a young lad like that. I, I think he would have been more of a, you know, I think a contender for the, for the championship. But, uh, um, you know, and, and he loved to be in Formula One. So here again, going back to that um, uh, possibility that, that to have uh, a, uh, an American driver in Formula One, it cannot hurt Formula One, especially in America, as far as uh, uh, the sponsor situation, the, the media, the all, all the interest and in, in the way the interest in Formula One has been fired up by the uh, Netflix, um, uh, uh, the different, you know, the the, the film uh, about you know uh, uh, Drive to Survive. Um, I mean, has really really it brought a fresh new look at Formula One from the younger set, even. And um, and I think you know we would uh, Michael's team as a team would contribute you know to uh, to having that there's that there's a spirit of uh, national pride as you all know in Formula One because it's truly uh, the the Olympics of motor motor sports because uh, you know the the international aspect of it I remember even myself. Um, you know, uh, okay, you race here at home and uh, the national anthem is played and all that. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's fine moments. But to have your home national anthem played when you're at the top step, and whether it's Austria, whether it's Germany, whether it's Argentina, whether it's Africa, that's, I mean, you're out there, there's a certain degree of, of pride. Uh, when, you know, Lewis, you know, he wins in, in Great Britain, you know, Every every person in Great Britain, you know, the chest is right out here with pride. That's the beauty of a Formula One in that respect. And um, so, um, again, uh, with America having, you know, potentially, you know, they're talking about even three events here uh, by next year. You know, to have at least one driver represented, you know, I think it it uh, it would work in a positive way. No question about it.
4: So, Mary, I'm conscious we're very nearly out of time, but I have a special question for you. We ask every single guest uh, the same question. Um, I'm going to invite you into our motorsport time machine. Um, In this time machine, you can go to any event, any series. Uh, You could be driving or you could witness. Um, When we asked David Croft, for example, he went to the first ever British Grand Prix in 1950. Um, If you could go anywhere, any time in history in in motorsport, where, where would you go and why?
1: Well, uh, where I've never been, <laughs> which would be, I just, uh, for some reason, I, I want to go to Singapore Grand Prix. I want to go, I've never been, I've been to a Bahrain. I want to go to Abu Dhabi. I don't know why, you know, it's just something that, um, uh, it's, it's where I've never been, so to speak. Um, so if you'll invite me to go there, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Thank, thank you very much for your
4: time. We, we, we are up. Um, but it's been an absolutely uh, fantastic hour that we've spent with you. So thank you so much, Mario. I've certainly enjoyed myself.
1: Well, thank you for having me, everyone. Uh, great speaking with you.
3: Network.